You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Good to be with you. Um, over the past few weeks, as we've been in this series, Foundations, in, in the letter of First Peter, um, we've addressed that we are living in what we call post-Christendom. Um, Christendom is a term referring to the, the Christian world, the influence of Christianity over a culture. And we are living in a time of post-Christendom. We're, we live in a day and a time and a place where the sensitivity um, to the Christian way of life, if you put it that way, um, is rapidly decreasing. In fact, you could make the argument that in some areas of this place where we live, uh, it's even growing hostile. Um, that being said, in the midst of that, we're not called to just survive it. We're called to thrive in the midst of it. And so Peter writes this letter into that same type of situation and culture. He writes and says, hey, friends, fellow Christ followers. And the first thing that he does is reminds them, reminds us of our identity. The first thing that Peter said, we saw this a couple weeks ago, is he tells them, you and I, we've been born again to a living hope. Um, Peter says our identity is now hidden in Christ. And because of this, our citizenship is now in heaven. This living hope that we have. Peter says that it's manifested um, through our obedience to Christ. Through us walking in obedience to Christ. And then uh, this living hope that we have, it's made visible by the love that we have for one another. That is expressed and shared in community that is built on the word of God. Not just community of, yeah, I got some buddies and we get together and watch sports together. Or I get a group of friends and we get together and we craft. That's great. Keep that up. Um, but the living hope that we have in Christ uh, is made visible when God's people love one another in community that is built on his word. Last week we saw that the living hope that we have is nurtured when the people of God walk one another back to the word of God. That, that when you need comfort, uh, one of your brothers or sisters can walk you back to the word of God. I know where you can find that. That, that because of that and in that, we exhort one another, we instruct one another, we teach one another. Sometimes we rebuke one another, we comfort one another, carry one another's burdens, we love one another. And so this living hope that we have, it's manifested, it's made visible, it's nurtured. Well, this morning we're going to see that it's multiplied as we live and walk on mission together for the sake of the gospel, for the kingdom. And this is not some special calling on the life of a select few. It's the calling and the mandate on the life of every Christ follower to walk on everyday mission. The church, the church is the people of God. The, the people of God called to display the goodness and the glory of God to a lost world. 
The church is the community of grace, united and empowered in the word by the spirit. Church is not so much about um, how we structure ourselves or where we meet or how often we meet or even what we do when we meet. Don't mishear me. Those things are important. They're relevant. They're of necessity. But church is not so much about those things as it is about uh, us being who we are as the people of God. The church is about our new identity in Christ, um, living distinctively by God's grace through the power of the Spirit, under the reign of King Jesus for the glory of God. That's the church. That's what ought to preoccupy us. That's what ought to drive everything that we do. That's what ought to be the priority. Um, Everything else should simply be a way of presenting that, catalyzing that, cultivating that, living that out. And so when we understand that, and then we also understand that we live in a world where there are billions of people who not only don't know Christ, but have not heard the gospel, this shakes us up, at least it should. But then along with that, we understand that we live in a nation where there are 85 million plus people who probably have heard the gospel, and at this point are either saying, um, yeah, I'm not interested in that, or they have just flat out rejected it altogether. When you understand that that's the world that we live in, you and I hopefully begin to understand we must rethink how we're carrying out this mission. Again, please do not misunderstand me or mishear me. Um, Not rework, reword, or water down the message, but rethink and contextualize the method. We've got to rethink this. Abraham Lincoln said, the dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. The occasion is piled high with difficulty and we must rise with the occasion. As our case is new, so we must think anew and act anew. Friends, we have to think different about church, especially those of us who've grown up in church. We have to begin to think different about church. We must think different about mission. And here's the, the first priority in our rethinking is, is the order of those things. We've got to first think about mission, which will lead to church. Let me speak to this theologically this morning with a few big words. We've, we've said this before. We'll probably say it again because it's important for us to understand this. Um, first of all, we need to understand Christology. Okay, Christology, this is a big hairy word for what we know about Christ. Um, what we can know about who he is and what he's done. Your Christology is where it all started for you as a Christian. Are you understanding that? Because when you made the determination that you believed Jesus Christ is the son of God who died on the cross, rose from the dead, and I am placing my trust in him and following him, that's Christology. I understand and I believe this is who Jesus is and what he's done. So it all begins there. 
that has to be in order. When our Christology is right, this forms our missiology. What's missiology? Let's, let's just lay this out on the table. Ology is the study of. All right? So these aren't really as hard as they sound. Um, missiology is everything that we can know and everything that uh, is an implication of mission. So let's think about this for a minute. Christology forms missiology. When Jesus was about to ascend back to the Father, and he gathered on the side of the hill one day with the disciples, and he gave them what we call the Great Commission. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, I'm getting ready to go back to the Father, and I want you to know there's this great church down in Jerusalem. I want you guys to plug in. All right? Be active. It's going to be great. He didn't say that. He also didn't say, hey guys, there's no good church in Jerusalem. None. I want you to go down there and I want you to plant one. All right? It's going to be fantastic. He didn't utter the word church. Jesus said, here's what you're to do. Go and make disciples. Teaching them, baptizing them. And then he told them moments later in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, I've got a mission and it's now yours. Go and do it. Right Christology forms missiology. And when we understand missiology, that will lead to ecclesiology. The ecclesia, the church. See, when we understand who Christ is, which leads us to understand the mission that he's given us, then we begin to understand if we're faithful to the mission, Jesus said, I will build my church. I'll take care of that part. So we've got to get those things in order. We've got to start thinking differently about mission. C.S. Lewis once said, there exists in every church something that sooner or later works against the very purpose for which it came into existence. And that thing that, that happens is this idea of protecting what we've got here rather than understanding that was never the intent. We must strive very hard by the grace of God to keep the church focused on the mission that Christ originally gave it. We must be on everyday mission. Turn with me to 1 Peter, if you will. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, if you've got the Bible app and you're going to use it this morning, you can go to more and, and events and you'll find the brook right there and you can follow along with us that way. But look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Peter says, as you come to know him, as you come to him, as you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. Heavy theology in two verses here. Peter, and he's not saying anything new, he's quoting Isaiah. 
Peter says to us, Jesus is the living stone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He became exactly what the scriptures told us that he would. Yes, he was rejected by men, but he was chosen by God, precious to God. Well, Peter says that we as his people, as his followers, that we have been built into, that we are being grafted into Christ. And so we are living stones. We're like a chip off the old block is what we are. We are being built up into him around the chief cornerstone. And then Peter says that Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, became our perfect high priest. For more on that, read the letter to the Hebrews. That letter is extensively about the fact that Moses painted a picture, but it was not an adequate picture. It it showed us we need a shepherd and a mediator and a priest, but no human could fulfill that role. Jesus has done it all. Well, so God comes, Peter says here, you being grafted into Christ, that God is now raising you up to be a priesthood to be priest of the Father. This is all about our identity. This is about who we now are in Christ. Peter keeps going. Look at verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter tells us here, you are either uh, formed around, built up by, grafted into the cornerstone, or you stumble over it. One of the two. Let me put it this way. We're either going to believe and obey Christ or we're going to reject him and stumble over him. And I really do think that a lot of days we live like we think that there's a middle. Like, oh, today I'm just hanging out in Canada. I'm just, I'm neutral. Nope, we're not. We are either believing him and obeying him or rejecting him and stumbling over him. The good news here for anyone in Christ, Peter says that if you are a follower of Christ, you've been born again to this living hope. This is now your identity, chosen and precious. Look at verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you had no identity, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who we are, chosen, precious, 
royal priest, a holy nation, the people of God. And this is what we are called to do. Proclaim the excellencies of the one who chose us. Proclaim the excellencies of the one who is raising us up as his priest. Proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's who we are. That's what we're called to do. And now Peter says, this is how we're to live this out. Look at verse 11. He begins by saying, beloved. You ought to circle that word in your Bible. Because on one hand, we don't use it very often, do we? Like, do not, I'm, I'm exhorting you, go to work tomorrow and address your coworkers this way. Beloved, you will be weird. We don't use that word a lot, so we don't identify with it. But Peter is saying here, I told you you're chosen. I told you you're precious. But let this sink in. All of you who are loved by God. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when, not if, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, every institution ordained for people by God, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. If you keep going... Peter's just addressed how we live in the community. He's about to address what he says slaves and masters. He's talking about the workplace. Whoever you work for, um, have great intention there. Then he moves into the home. Wives, think about how you walk with your unbelieving husbands and vice versa. And so understanding everything that Peter says here, we need to pay attention to where mission is takes place. Peter says it's in the community. It's in your neighborhood. It's in your workplace. It's in your home. Peter makes no mention of a church gathering or meeting. Not to say that mission does not and cannot happen in a church gathering. But Peter just chooses not to bring it up here. He hones in on the neighborhood, the workplace, the home. Um, back into the book, Everyday Church, that we've mentioned several times in this series. They say this, a missional theology applies to the whole of life of every believer. Every disciple is to be an agent of the kingdom of God, and every disciple is to carry the mission of God into every sphere of life. We are all missionaries sent into a non-Christian culture. So understanding this, let's talk for a few minutes about 
your neighborhood, your workplace, your home. Let's get real practical here because Peter does. If you've got your sermon notes there, we've put on there daily, weekly, monthly. If you're using the Bible app, you actually can type in there and make your own notes. But I want to encourage you this morning and even following to really think through what we're about to talk about. I want you to think for a few moments about your daily routine. Um, For some of us in this room, five days out of the week are just almost a no-brainer because most of us here, we can either add work or school. It's there. But I want you to think about what happens in that context, okay? Um, Think about every day. Every day we eat lunch. Maybe some of us take a lunch and eat in the workroom. Maybe you go out to lunch with your coworkers every day. We eat lunch. It's part of the day. Maybe you get up every single morning and walk your dog. And then the second that you get home, you turn right back around and go walk your dog. Um, Maybe you go to the same coffee shop every day. Um, Not every day, but almost every day, I go to MAPCO down here. Um, When Reed first moved here, I don't think he believed me that I went in there all the time. And then I took him in there with me one morning and everybody's yelling, hey, pastor. And he's like, oh, you do come in here all the time. I do. I go there. Maybe you go to the gym every day. Think through where do I find myself going day in and day out. Now think about weekly. Uh, Probably a lot of us in this room visit the grocery store weekly. Got to fill the pantry. Maybe you go to the same grocery store because it's close to your house or you really like their coupons or both. I don't know. Maybe for you, uh, you go to the gym weekly. Um, I'd encourage you to up that a little. Let's move that more toward the daily. Think through that. Okay, maybe if you're a parent right now, you every week you're taking your kid to gymnastics or soccer practice. Maybe you're coaching baseball in this season of life. Um, Maybe you meet your sister every Thursday night out for dinner. What do you do on a weekly basis? And now think monthly. Again, not to be the dead horse, but maybe for some of you, you'd say the gym. Let's. Let's move that up. Let's get outside. Let's take a walk. Um, Maybe you work in your yard every two, three weeks or something. Maybe you go to the barber shop. Maybe you go to the nail salon. Think through what is my daily routine? What are these weekly activities? What are these monthly events I'm engaged in? And here's why you need to think through this. All of us do. So that we can ask the question, in any or all of these activities, routines, or events, how can I be more intentional? How can I walk through this on purpose? That I don't get through the end of my day, or the end of my week, or the end of my month, and I realize I just kind of haphazardly stumbled through there, and I'm not really even sure where I went, what I did, or what impact I had on anything or anyone. Lord, how can I be more intentional? And within the context of that question, let me break it down even further for you. Let's ask the question, Lord, how can I have community intent? How can I have missional intent? How can I have gospel intent? First of all, let's talk about community. 
When you're thinking about things that you do daily or weekly, is there someone in your missional community or some other guy that does a Bible study with you? Or, or there's someone that you know who you know is a Christ follower that you could take along with you to disciple them. And it may not just be a you disciple them. It may be a we're discipling one another. Maybe you invite somebody to go to the gym with you. And while you're there, you're talking about what's the Lord doing in your life? How are you actively pursuing him? Where are you walking in the word? And maybe let's go crazy here. You begin praying, hey, Lord, plop somebody else down there in the gym that we might be able to rope into this with us. How can I have community intent with this community that God's already placed me in? Then what about missional intent? Is there somebody that you know who doesn't know Christ that you could invite in? Again, you got to eat. Your coworkers got to eat. Invite them along. And then, of course, there is gospel intent. Examining our life, our day, our week, and asking, what is this an opportunity to share Jesus with someone? Whether it's sharing the love of Christ, whether it is by the actions that you and I display in front of people, or maybe it's just plain flat an opportunity to speak and share the good news of the gospel. Lord, how can I be more intentional? How can I walk on everyday mission? I want to be careful to point something out here. Um, I'm I'm not about to tell you because we've got this great new class we're going to do where you can come on Thursday night or Tuesday night and we're going to take two more hours of your day to show you how to do this. No, we've got a textbook, okay? And here's the deal. I know that all of us in this room, just about, we could all have the one-upping war of, well, you think you're busy. <laughs> Let me tell you about me. I'm busier. We're all real good at that. I got it. We're all busy. Okay, agreed? Anybody want to argue? Nope. We're all busy. So what we're doing here is we're saying, God, help us to look into the busyness and say, I'm going to walk through this and live this intentionally on purpose for your kingdom. Let me give you some exhortation. First of all, very, very simply, eat with people. You got to eat. You do. And again, let's just focus in on coworkers here or our neighbors. They got to eat as well. Invite your neighbors over for dinner. Ask your coworker that doesn't seem to have connected with anybody at work yet. Hey, man, you want to go to lunch? Eat with people. And, and, and understand, we, we've got to get past the thought that the first priority of the table is for our consumption of food. We are a really, really, really gluttonous nation. Let's stop viewing the table as, oh, I just got to eat, I got to eat, I got to eat. And see, this is a thing that God has established for fellowship and communion. And a part of the beauty of it is we also get to taste this magnificent stuff while having this fellowship. Because let's be real, food breaks the ice. 
I don't know why we're all more comfortable talking with food in our mouth. It's kind of gross, but it's the deal. Eat with people because the table offers this opportunity to learn about their lives. Invite them into your life. It's a vulnerable place to be, I understand, but that's where we're called to walk. Talk to people. Talk to people. And when you talk to people, ask questions. Ask really good questions. I just want to lay this out there. The cruddiest, crappiest question on the face of the earth is, how are you doing? And you all know that it's a stinky question because you always get a stinky answer when you ask it, don't you? I'm good. I'm fine. You're either getting no information or you're getting a lie. That's basically it. But you see, when you, when you ask a brother who you know had to put his dog to sleep earlier in the week, hey man, how are you doing? I know that had to be hard. That's a question. Hey, I know you've been wrestling with this decision about your job. How's that going? Ask people questions that give them an opportunity to really share with you what's going on in your in their life. And when you ask those great questions, listen. And that's all going to stem from actually caring about the person. Eat with people. Talk to people. Pray for people. My main exhortation always to you and me would be pray with people. Any opportunity that we have to right then and there pray over and with a brother or a sister, let's take it. Because see, not only is the beauty that they can hear us praying for them, I guarantee you, you won't need to write it down to remember to pray about it again. The Lord will remind you. But let's, let's be real. We don't always have that opportunity. There are times that we have to say, man, I'm going to be praying for you um, every day about this. Well, first of all, do it. But then... Let me, let's move around to another angle on this. There are people that a lot of us are praying for that they don't even know we're praying for them. And here's where I believe we need to be exhorted with that. Let them know. Let them know because it matters. They need to know that someone is lifting their burden, their problem, their trial up to the Lord. And, and, and I will tell you this, when you let someone know whether they are a believer or not, that you are taking the time and the energy and the priority that even if it's 90 seconds of your life, for that 90 seconds, you matter more than anything else because I am lifting you up to the God that I worship. That matters. That impacts people. Pray with people. Pray for people. Let them know that you are praying for them. And let me wrap this up by saying this. Take the opportunity to serve alongside other people as well. If you look out the window and you see your elderly neighbor about to rake their leaves, and you think, well, that's a bummer. I'm going to go watch some basketball. Maybe you could go out there for a little while, 
get the rake out of your garage and go help. If you have a neighbor that will reject that help, they probably need more help than you can give them. I will reject no human being that wants to help me rake my yard. I don't care, especially you bring your own rake. You're staying for dinner, man. Look out the window. Um, maybe look into opportunities to serve. Um, maybe you've, you've never been to the downtown rescue mission. There are opportunities to go in and serve people a meal that if, if the rescue mission wasn't there, they weren't going to eat today. Well, when you go and you serve alongside other people, um, it does something. But here's another mind blower for you. If you tell your coworker, again, I don't care if they're a believer or not. Hey, I'm going to the downtown rescue mission to serve people this week, serve them dinner. You want to come with me? You'll probably be shocked at how many of them would say, well, yeah, that would be awesome. Maybe you and your entire missional community could get more involved in what we're doing here with Lunches of Love and trying to make sure that we do not have a single child in our city hungry or come and be a part of what we do with King's Table in ministering to people and that we know that when we meet people's physical needs, we have an opportunity to meet their greater spiritual need. I want to share with you this morning an example And I wish I had time. We're going to send some of these out via email, however we have to do it. I got time to share one example with you this morning of the impact that living intentionally has on other people. I want to share a letter with you that we got a few weeks ago from a lady who we ministered to through King's Table. Okay? Um, it's addressed, Dear Miss Beth, and all at the brook. Thank you is such a small word for all you do. First, let me tell you of the Christmas miracle. Now, before I go any further, let me just throw this out there. Have any of you in this room ever been sad or depressed because you couldn't vacuum your home? No. Just want to clear that up. Make sure we're all on the same page. I've been needing a vacuum cleaner for a while. Since my knee surgery, I could not handle my old one. This lady who was physically disabled, we really don't know how long it had been for this lady's house had been vacuumed. I would look, but I just didn't have the extra in the budget. Then in the Christmas box you gave me was the gift card. Thank you, Jesus, and you saints. I got a nice new Bissell Power Force vacuum for Christmas. It's amazing. It's light. And I can handle it well. God is good. This is the first praise, hallelujah, glory to God I've ever read about a vacuum cleaner. Ever. Then the January box. Oh my goodness. God bless your youth. Our students during Collide Weekend, many of them came and helped serve with King's Table. I have never seen such food. It was as if I had personally given you a list. It's been amazing. My food stamps got combined for January and February, but it doesn't matter. I have wanted for nothing. I feel like the boy with the fish and the bread. What y'all do for this community is an anointed blessing. God is using you in mighty ways. 
I pray God blesses each one of you and your church with wealth, health, love, and peace. Thank you with love and prayers. That's the result of living intentionally for the kingdom of God. That, that is the result of saints saying, Lord, this is the day that you have made. I'm going to live it for you. Take my time, take my energy, take it all. You're the priority. God, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? The point of all of this, it, it comes to a head and understanding that everyday mission begins with everyday passion. And you can't fake that. You've probably seen someone in your life try to fake passion and you know it's a really grotesque, ugly thing. It doesn't work. We will attract people to Jesus if we're passionate about Jesus. Going back to everyday church, it says loving Jesus is not a technique. Don't think about how you can communicate a passion for Jesus to others. Be passionate about him. Meditate on Jesus until he captures your heart afresh. With that, look with me back here in 1 Peter chapter 2 at how Peter closes this part of the letter. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Friends, when your identity has been changed, when you've gone from death to life, when you've been born again to a living hope, when you are now sons and daughters of the Most High God, and because of this, your citizenship has been changed. I am no longer a slave. Christ has set me free. I am now a citizen of heaven. When our identity changes and our citizenship changes, it's inevitable that our life is going to change as well. There's going to be something different. How could there not be knowing that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood? Peter says to us, you are a holy nation. You are God's people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light every day. On mission. Let's pray. Father, would you give us the wisdom and the discernment to see our life as you see it? Lord, would you give us the wisdom and the discernment and the discipline and the passion 
to say, Lord, I, I do not want even one of my days to be lived haphazardly. I, I don't want to miss one day, Lord, the opportunity that you place in front of me. to share this living hope that I've been given, to proclaim how marvelous and excellent you are. Lord, we don't want to miss any opportunity to display that you have brought us out of darkness and into light, that you have brought us from death to life. Lord, that we have been born again to a living hope. Lord, we pray this morning that if there's anybody here, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'll just be really straight up with you today. Um, There is nothing that we think in this world that would be greater than for you to surrender your life to him. And we think that and we know that and we believe that because we have experienced that. He is our hope. Lord Jesus, in these moments as we continue to worship you, we pray that you would be exalted and glorified. You are worthy of our praise. So we come and We don't just sing this morning, Lord. We we surrender to you. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.